0: Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and, yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year in live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another issue of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to be joined by Scott Chasen, former Kansas beat writer. And the co host of The Drive in Northeast Kansas, as we're going to be talking all things finals four with Scotty when he joins us coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group and our Tom Foley story of the week at the end of the show as well. And Coach Bo Brian O'Connor is here with me as uh, he is filling the void for Thomas Bridges this week. He'll be with us for most of the show today and boy, we have so much going on so much to talk about with the final four this uh upcoming weekend and just the last few days you had this whole will smith chris rock debacle i hear within 24 hours the former president is bragging about having a hole in one and i'm like just where are we at in society today i mean oh my gosh you know i mean what does this world come to when, uh, when when these are the things that are taking over the internet here? I mean, uh, you, you just have to stop back and you just catch your breath for a second. Like, what the hell is going on, Bo? Glad to have you with us, though. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always fun to jump in here for a little extra time, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, crazy, it's a crazy time we're living in. Are you, uh, are you on Team
0: Chris Rock or Team uh, Will Smith here?
1: I'm on team Chris Rock. Now, as a married man, you'd think I'm on team Will Smith. But, you know, I will say that I, I thought I didn't know about this. And I was actually recording my podcast, Coach Bono's podcast, uh, on Sunday night during the Oscars. So I didn't hear about the side where I was done recording. And I saw it. And at first, I was like, that wasn't real. And then I watched it. I was like, it was real. And I had a couple of prevailing thoughts. One... Chris Rock's got a good chin, and Will Smith's got a weak ass slap. Two, it was clear that Will Smith took it personal after he laughed at the joke. He thought after his wife's laughing. reaction. Yeah, his wife gave him that look like, "Oh no, you didn't just laugh," and he had to do something. But I said, you know, it, it, look, I in the moment, Will Smith's going to do what Will Smith's going to do there. I don't. I'm not excusing the behavior, but what I am saying is, it'd be really easy to for Will Smith sitting right there in the front row to be able to go, go up one stage, jokingly do something like that, you know, the the fake slap him, and then you put your arm around him and go, oh come on man, and say, like, and then jokingly say, it's all right, we'll see you in the back, and then kind of walk away. He could have won it doing something like that. But I just think he went too serious, and clearly he had to do what something Jada wanted him to do, and that's where that was. I mean, that was. That it was so crazy. bizarre.
0: So I didn't watch it live because I, I hate watch. award shows.
1: I don't watch them. I think I'm award sorry.
0: shows are such a waste of time, and they're so pitiful. And the Oscars, I think, uh, the Will Smith movie that he won Best Actor for. The movie on the Williams sisters was probably the only movie I actually watched this (laughs) this year that was nominated. Um, But nonetheless, that's part of the reason why I don't watch the Oscars is I don't watch all those movies that that get nominated, you know, and such. But uh, with that being said, you know, when when this went on and I saw the clips on social media, at first I thought, oh, this had to be staged. There's got to be some bit between Chris Rock and Will Smith, right? And then. You see the audio cut out, and the first couple times I played it, I thought my phone was just, like, not working right or something. Like, where'd the audio go? And then I see the Japanese version, the Australian version, where they didn't cut the audio, and we heard what Will Smith really said here. I'm like, man, this guy's just out of control. Uh, You know, here's Will Smith, and I don't hear a bleep out of him Complaining about his wife running around on him, you know, cheating on him with several different men. But he sure has got an issue with uh, Chris Rock making a joke about his uh, his wife here. Hmm, interesting.
1: Yeah, I you know, I always said that I don't understand. I don't get involved with what happens between a man and their wife. You know, between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, between closed doors, it's between them. So I'm not going to judge that piece in and of itself. They may have some kind of thing. I don't know. Um, it's called an open um,
0: marriage. Okay, yeah. It
1: could be. I mean, yeah, you never know. And that's none of my business. But what I will say is he didn't get mad until she gave him that look. I'll indict him on that because he laughed. He thought the joke was funny. And look, the joke was funny. Right. I mean, it would have been funnier if Chris Rock had said, because G.I. Jane's kind of outdated if he just said, I can't wait to see you in the next, Black Panther movie. <laughs> right? You know, they got to replace Black Panther with something. I mean, she could be right in there with, with a couple of those ladies from Maconda. She'd be one of the soldiers.
0: And I can see where you may have thought the joke on Chris Rock was in poor taste with her having the condition and such yeah. when it comes to her hair. I can understand that. I can listen to that. But it was still such an over-the-top reaction to go up there on stage And then we hear the news from the academy that they tried to kick out Will Smith, but he refused to leave. And then the speech, he goes up crying and such. I mean,
1: where is the security? Right. Yeah. At this point, at this the the Grammys, and that was Kanye, they'd have got him out the paint. (laughs)
0: Oh, in a in a Fast minute, they would have got him off.
1: you can't just be well I Will Smith, you're gonna kick me out. Uh yes, you just you just hit somebody live on television.
0: You just assaulted somebody. Get
1: the hell out of here. Yeah.
0: And then Chris Rock, part of me, Bo is like, Okay, good on Chris Rock for holding it together and still getting through his routine. He was a little shaken up a bit, but to be the bigger man. But at the same time, too, I'm like. You know what? I would not have done what Chris Rock would have done. I mean, you know what my mom always told me growing up? She said, you know, if you start a fight, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to, you know, it's not going to go over well for you. You know, you're going to be trouble at home as well as wherever you're at school. But if somebody hits you, you better hit them back. And I don't care if you get in trouble at school or whatever it is. uh, You're going to be in more trouble. If you didn't defend yourself, then uh, otherwise. And so when I looked at that with Chris Rock, i mean, okay, he is being the bigger man. I, I give him credit for staying composed, but at the same time, I'm like, how did he not do anything? Just stand there and take that, too.
1: Well, I, I think it's two for one. There's shock and awe that actually happened in that situation. Oh, my God. I mean, of the – one thousand impossible things you think would happen in Chris Rock's life, getting a slap from Will Smith live on the Oscars has got to be near the top. Now, I see where your point is. I think that he did play the bigger man. I think he did. Um, <laughs> what was I, I think he took a punch for a slap pretty well, but then I think he, I think he thought about it. And I think part of him probably, he probably doing the calculus quickly in his head of okay, I can't stomp him out because we're live on the Oscars. And two, I might lose. Yeah. Will Smith's not a small man, and Chris Rock's not a large man.
0: And since this has gone on, you know that Chris Rock's stand up show has skyrocketed in ticket sales this week.
1: Has it? Uh, it's awesome. Because I worry about it because I mean I I like comedy I like stand up comedy and I do wonder like there are you know there's the Dave Chappelle kind of stuff where people were like don't like Dave Chappelle now because of some of the jokes he's made about transgender people, um, but then also Chris Rock in this case is making fun of a of a bald woman with what's the what's it called again the the, the condition she has I don't know the exact name but like yes alopecia or something like that I think so yeah. Okay, so first off, I didn't know she had alopecia. I guess if you listen to her content and do the things that she does, the red table stuff or whatever, she's brought that up. Well, God bless her for bringing that up. But, hey, I wouldn't have known that. Chris Rock may not have known that when he made that joke. Right. You know, so if he didn't know that. But at the same time, can we just let some jokes be jokes? Right. I mean, he could have easily – boy, it could have gone really well if Will Smith would have done things differently. I I think the whole thing is just kind of funny in the end, and I think in the end, Chris Rock's going to come out better for this. And Will Smith's not going to come. There's nothing Will Smith can say now. I mean, he's been contrite and he's made some comments, but there's nothing that he's going to do that's going to win this back for him. He's just going to have to play this game out now. Right. You know, if anything, I think that the, the, the comedians of the world are like, hell yes. Thank you for taking that slap. Right. I the mean, is now the Rosa Parks of comedians. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hitler came on stage and slapped this shit out of him live on the Oscars, and he didn't fight back. And now he's going to be bigger. <laughs>
2: Man,
0: that's, that's wild. Uh, what a wild night that was. And Chris Rock comes out looking good. Will Smith, not so much. And it's the most interesting Oscars in mind. The Oscars, these award shows have been so terrible. The ratings have sucked. They tried to, they tried to put Amy Schumer out there to host. Amy Schumer's not funny. She's not.
1: I, I think Amy Schumer is
0: funny. Amy oh, Schumer's no. terrible. I like Amy Schumer. <laughs> okay, you got. The, I found the one Amy Schumer fan yeah, right here.
1: Funny, I think mean, she's funny, but I, it, that's a hard job hosting the Oscars.
0: I think next year you got to have Chris Rock hosting the Oscars
1: <laughs> with security. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine the ratings are going to be phenomenal next year if you Chris let Chris Rock
1: host the Oscars with The Rock as his bodyguard? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can see the commercial now. I'm Chris Rock. And this year I got a bodyguard. And they pan over, and there's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And you come back to the Chris Rock, Will Smith, I'll see you there. And <laughs> Bam, you're done. <laughs> I won't watch. I'll watch.
0: <laughs> Hell, I mean, if you're SNL, beat them to the punch. Get Chris Rock to host sometime soon.
1: Oh, he's got to host soon, yeah. And you got to do something where he's got two bodyguards and <laughs> everything else. Yeah, I, it'd be hysterical. There's all sorts of fun you could have with
2: this.
0: Gosh. <laughs> uh, we'll talk plenty of Final Four here in this moment, but uh, I just spent the, uh, the weekend in uh, Austin. Very good time. My first visit to Austin, by the way. Okay. And uh, went out to the, uh, the NASCAR races out there with, uh, with, with David Starr and the gang. We had a really good time. And our friends had a ticket smarter. They took care of us. Uh, I don't think I paid for a drink all weekend. It was one of those type of deals. Very nice, relaxing weekend uh, at, the, uh, at the racetrack. But Austin, uh, this is a city I'm going to have to come back to. Like, um, And you know what? I was very nice, Bo. I uh, I only put the horns down just one time while I was in Austin. Just once.
1: See, I, I've been to Austin. I have not been as like an, an older adult. I went. I, was, I went in college once, and I was I went as a kid. Y'all can't have me in Austin because I'll be horns down the whole weekend. <laughs> the whole weekend. That's just that's just who I am. But uh, now I think it. Um, I think it's I think it's a great town. Uh, everyone I've ever known has gone there; has had a good time. I, I need to go back and, and do it, but uh, I uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool.
0: Now this weekend, Bo, you convinced me to go to WrestleMania on yeah. Sunday here in Dallas. I have never been to a professional wrestling event. I've watched some stuff uh, on TV over the years. You know, for me, like in in high school, the WWE was what got me through, like, Mondays in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, because we didn't have Monday Night Football, you know, at that time. And and you're just trying to find anything to watch. Like, oh, I'll watch Raw on Mondays, you know, summertime and such. But I was never, like, the, the die-hard wrestling fan. What am I going to expect to see uh, for my first visit to Jerry World being WrestleMania Sunday?
1: Okay, it's going to be a long, really bad show you're going Sunday, you're going to get to see two good matches, and the rest of it's going to be awful. Just awful. And I don't know that in the stadiums, wrestling matches are very good because you can't see the action. You're going to be watching on the screen most of the time. Because you can't right? see just a small it's 16 feet by 20, 20 feet by 20 feet. I mean, if you're sitting too far away, you're not going to see much action. Yeah. Um, but it, it, The people watching will be phenomenal.
0: Now, what do I even wear? Like, I feel like I need a wrestling shirt or a tank top or
1: something. You've got to get a wrestling shirt. Now, there'll be like, you know, WWE will have access there. There'll be stuff you can buy there, too. But you need to get your shirt. And Any T-shirt will do. Um, For this one, you probably got to go Steve Austin. Okay. Steve Austin comes back on Saturday for a one-time deal. Austin 316. Yeah, I'll get you an Austin 316 shirt. They're going to be selling Dallas 316 shirts all over the place. There'll be something new that he'll sell while he's there. This is gonna be the first championship
0: that stadium's ever seen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The first championships ever. They've been there once before, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Oh yeah. So it won't be the first one, but it'll be the it'll be the next one. <laughs> the WWE has had more championships in, in Jerry World than the Cowboys have. Oof. Uh, yeah, it, it you'll have fun. People watching will be fantastic. Okay. Uh, yeah, but what to wear? Man, wear something comfortable. It's gonna be hot, and there'll be people everywhere. Um, Enjoy them eleven dollar beers, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah,
0: eleven dollar beer. I might only be able to afford a couple of those. Um, now this weekend, speaking of like travel stuff, I, I'm I'm not planning on going to the uh, Final Four unless something changes in the eleventh hour, but. You live in Lawrence and New Orleans. You know Louisiana is your home and yeah, such. Town, yeah. um, for people making the trek to final, do New Orleans for the Final Four, what what is there? What's the need to know? How would you go about this weekend in New You
1: you got to you got to hit the restaurants. You got to hit the you got to hit the French Quarter. You got to get to the good restaurants down there. It's going to be hard. But get in there. There's plenty of good ones. You've got to hit Cafe Dumont which is right outside of Jackson square, right downtown, get the beignet donuts. They're open all the time. You got to hit that up, whether it's late at night, when you're done drinking or early in the morning, they're, they're perfect. Lots of powdered sugar. Don't wear nice clothes when you're there or get ready to ruin your clothes, but hit the a cafe du Monde is the number one thing. If you're going to be partying in new Orleans, you got to make sure you get that in. Um, you know, bourbon street's fun, and there's all sorts of stuff to do right down the French Quarter and in that area. Plenty of bars, there'll be no shortage of places to go and have a few drinks and have a good time. And it's open carry
2: that's beautiful. You
1: walk from, you walk from bar to bar, they're going to give you a cup to take with you. And you just take it with you and go. So, yeah, you'll have fun. It, you don't need a paper there. sack, love you it. Don't need to have the sack, though. No, you just walk, and actually, there'll be bars where you just walk up to like the window. At a carry out window to order your drinks, take them you. That's great. Yeah. New Orleans is
0: great. I love it. That sounds like a lot of fun. Should be a, a good time this weekend. Uh, with that being said, the final four, Kansas, Villanova, Duke, and UNC. So a couple of days ago, Bo, I don't know if you saw this. I had a uh, anti-Coach K tweet that went viral. Um I had said on uh, my Twitter feed prior to the Arkansas game on Saturday, I had tweeted out a letter to the uh, Arkansas basketball team saying, please, Arkansas, um, beat Duke so we don't have to deal with a Final Four that is so insufferable that the media makes all about Coach Gay. Uh, signed, America. I thought that was okay to sign that on behalf of America. Maybe I should have extended it for the whole universe, but I went with America, just be safe. You know, this felt right. So, <laughs> and then Arkansas, they didn't understand the assignment, and Duke's now in the Final Four. And, you know, here they are and such. Uh, with, with that being said, I had some pretty interesting replies too. Somebody told me to stick to football. Some, some douchebag named Brody. And my response to him was, uh, hey, I've been covering college basketball for a decade, and at least my parents love me enough to not name me Brody. Um, I I don't know. I can't think of one successful person named Brody in the history of mankind. If you're named Brody, your parents have pretty much said ahead of time, our child is going to be a loser. I mean, they determined that before you were born. So anyways, I digress. Uh, With that being said, Duke is in the Final Four. I hate it. Um, I would love nothing more than for North Carolina to go ahead and get this done. You know, the the stories with this Final Four, obviously Coach K is going to be a big part of it. But, you know, to me, Bo, all of these outcomes uh, of whatever it makes of is going to have an interesting story in itself. Either we get Coach K – In the national title game you know winning it all and such you know and going out on top or north carolina gets in his way and he loses again to north carolina two straight to end his career or there's bill self that gets that second title or jay wright gets his third title and what a six-year stretch and we're talking you know dynasty for villanova here i mean there's a whole lot of Different storylines, the way this could go, and all of them are fascinating here.
1: Yeah, there is just so many different ways. It's, I, I'm like you; I'm ready for Coach K to go down, and I want it to be North Carolina at least, though. Um, but there are way. I mean, we got first you have Duke, Carolina. Someone said, "Is this the first time they've ever met in the NCAA tournament?" Yes, they've never met in the tournament before. Yeah, so. Um, I find that interesting. I would have thought at least once, but yeah, he could have had to have up the final four to get there for those two. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it's interesting. Either Duke beats Carolina and, and has a chance for Coach K to play for a national championship in his last game, or he loses to Bill Self, or he loses to Jay Wright, you know, and those two get to establish themselves as the next dominant coach. You know, it's, I mean, Jay Wright's been incredible, so built Bill Self. Um, But, man, the the storyline I want to see, we talked a little bit about this off the air, I want to see North Carolina beat Duke. And then I don't want to see North Carolina win. I want Kansas to win. But if North Carolina was to win this thing after beating Duke and having beaten Duke in the last home game in Coach K's career, Hubert Davis has to retire. Right? He has to go out as a champion. It'll never get better. He'll never have a three-week run like beating Coach K at his last home game, beating him in the Final Four, winning the Nashville title. What else do you have to accomplish? You want him to cure cancer? I mean, it's time to move on. So I'd like to see that because I think it would be the greatest story ever. Uh, I, I want to see Coach K lose. I really want it to get done before now because it's going to be um, – it, it's already unbearable. It's getting worse. So but if they win Saturday – so I'm going to turn ESPN on on Sunday and Monday. It's right. on Saturday.
0: So here, here's where I'm at. I'm like twofold on this ball. I mean, I want to see North Carolina beat Duke again. I think that would be great. It would be a great way to see Coach Kate go out, go out, losing to North Carolina twice in the you know, three, four-week stretch, including at home and in the Final Four. But there's part of me too, as the Kansas fan in me that says, you know what, I would love to see Kansas be the ones to take out Coach K and knock him out in the title game. If if I didn't have, if my team wasn't in it, easy decision. Let's see Coach K get beat by North Carolina, get his ass beat and ran out of the building. Awesome. But now I'm like, okay, Duke, you're already there. Let's see Kansas take him down and be the ones that kick Coach yeah. K's ass.
1: Yeah, I just don't want to leave any room for error. Let's just get him out the paint as early as we can. We should yes. have had him gone in the second round. Because anything we Texas
0: Tech is- should have won that game. Duke went lights out. And then what did I talk about on last week's show? I said, you, you know, Duke's going to get the calls here. The Duke's going to – you know, these officials do not want to get in the way of Coach K's – Dream scenario here. You know, they, they do not want to be the ones that retire Coach K. They're going to give him the benefit of the doubt.
1: We were watching the Duke-Michigan State game. Duke had a foul called on them, one of the players, at two minutes and 45 seconds left in the game. I turned and looked at my wife, and I said, that will be the last call, the last foul Duke has in this game. No call will go against Duke the rest of this game unless someone gets shot. <laughs> And she was like, You're kidding. I was like, No. I was like, It can be a mugging, a stabbing, maybe. But if, you, if they pull out a gap, if they pull out a gun, then they'll call the foul then. But otherwise, there's no fouls on Duke the rest of this game. The, way yeah. the last 245, there's no fouls called on Duke. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I, I have joked for years. That's why I'm not a, as big a college basketball fan as certain people. There are certain teams that get calls. And look, I live in Lawrence, Kansas, y'all. KU okay, gets a lot of calls, mm-hmm. but nobody gets the calls like Coach K does.
2: Well, and
1: it's bad. Referees are afraid to call fouls on his players. They're afraid to give turnovers the other way. They're in fear of him,
0: right? You know. And here's the thing: you know, my beef with Coach K and such—it's nothing personal. I have no axe to grind against the man that is Coach K. I mean, all in all, he's been great for the sport and, you know, what he did to bring back the Olympic team. You know, there's a lot of good things. My issue, Bo, with Coach K is the media's obsession and the energy that he takes out of the room and such, the way that they treat Coach K like he's – you know walking on water that he's like you know a god of some sorts that's to me is it's so over the top of the way that people look at coach k that's my issue it's not with k personally it's the way that he's treated so much higher and above everyone else
1: yeah i'm 100% agreement with you that's my issue i he's obviously a good man he's never done anything to embarrass himself his family his team school his employer anything but, yeah, this whole narrative that he's just the greatest of all time at these things, I I get away from those narratives in the first place. I don't believe one thing is the greatest at anything. But I – Like, really, is there
2: anything you can
0: compare him and John Wooden about? No. Two completely different eras.
1: No, but I, I have some opinions on John Wooden as well. Just <laughs> he cheated a lot. <laughs> yes, it's out there. There's books. There's plenty of things. They wrote a lot of checks, paid a lot of cash to a lot of people. At UCLA. <laughs> it's easy to play the high road when someone's paying for all you play. all I'm
0: saying. You know, it's it's so funny that people act like you know, back in my day, you know, they uh, the kids they just they just played for scholarships and just wanted to win and such. Like my ass. What are you? What the hell are you talking about? You know, I mean, you, that it, it just wasn't as easy to get caught like it is now. And that's the difference. Yeah, you know? I mean,
1: there's a lot less paper trail back then <laughs> as there is now, <laughs> right? My goodness, Uh you know, for, if people don't know what we're talking about with with John Wooden. Google the name Sam Gill. That's all you got to
0: do. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Um, Bill Self in this Kansas team, Bo, you know, it's an interesting position. I think that Kansas is the best team of the four to left, and I don't think they've played their best basketball yet. I think that their best basketball could very well be in front of them this weekend, but there is a couple interesting tidbits here that go in connection with this. While I don't think Kansas has played their best basketball, I don't know if the tournament has necessarily prepared them for what is coming up. They've had an easy trail ahead. Although they went through the toughest conference in America in the Big 12, I don't know if after what they've been through of playing some lackadaisical opponents the last few weeks, if they're ready for what they're about to see in these next two games in three days, potentially. Um, On the the flip side, though, too, I think that although they are the best team here and the most talented team, one thing that plays to their advantage with this whole... Duke and Coach K thing is, um, there will never be another team ever in the history of the Final Four that will be a favorite like they are, but yet still have no pressure whatsoever. All the pressure is on Coach K and Duke, and all the attention is on them. Kansas is an interesting position here, Bo, where they get to be the silent assassin of some sorts. Mm And, you know, when when Bill Self is kind of forgotten about under the radar of some sorts, to me, that's a dangerous position for everyone else. That's that's the twofold with this. I like Kansas being under the radar here, kind of forgotten about. I don't like what the tournament has done to prepare them for what they're about to see, though.
1: Okay, I agree with both points. Now, I'll say this. I don't think the tournament has to prepare you. I think it's. If you're saying they've had an easy run to get there in this tournament, totally agree with that. The easiest path by far are the four teams. I mean, the, the two teams that were going to be competitive to them in that racket both got beat by somebody else. Uh, so it worked out being good for Kansas. I do think Kansas is prepared because the, they do play a hard schedule throughout the season, they play hard non con games. They have played a Big 12 schedule, they played the Big 12 tournament. Um, I think that they're I don't think that's going to be an issue. I agree with you saying about there being under the radar for sure. Um, I think that plays to their strengths, Uh, but I I slightly disagree with the idea that they're not prepared because I don't think the tournament itself should prepare you. You should be prepared when you get there. And I think they are. I, I, I have less uh, angst about that. than Maybe you do in this case.
0: Well, here's what I mean by that. Okay. Although I think Kansas is the most talented team, you know, the best team in the country. I said that from, you know, the, the first round of this tournament, that they've, they've played, that they looked that way. Um, as far as being prepared goes, look at their stretch to get here. Texas Southern, a 16 seed, you know, that's a all-nother story. Um, you know, beat, blew them out of the water. The, the game against Creighton, um, Creighton was short, two of their top players, and, you know, they shot lights out. Kansas barely gets by, a shorthanded great team. Providence, they played bad. That was not a good game for Kansas, but they found a way to win. And in Miami, you had one great first, second half and a bad first half. I mean, really – what what I wonder is what Kansas team is going to show up. That's why I say, like, I feel like their best basketball could potentially still be in front of them because we've only really seen them play in this tournament one great half of basketball at a high level here. I wonder, is that half what is to come of the next two games? Is that a sign of this team heading in the right direction? Or do we see the Kansas team that we saw against Creighton in Providence? If we see the Kansas team that play against, Greater province, they wouldn't even get by Villanova.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, they have to put a full game together. They have not done that yet. Right. Um, a lot of that has to do with the play of. Um, I think Ochai has played as well as he as he has during the season. He is in not his, in his tournament. Remy uh, Remy Martin has played incredible. I think he's been the player of the tournament. Um, I think he's been the MVP of the whole tournament. I, I agree. I, I, I also think that if you look at this game, this team, I don't know they'll they have to put it all together, but he's got to play good enough. And they really play well. The thing I like about Kansas, I think they're a well-rounded team. They're not reliant on one facet of the game. They seem to play defense well. They pass the ball. They can shoot open shots, but they drive to the basket. For instance, the Miami game, they didn't get to the line much in the first half because they didn't drive as much. They made the appropriate adjustments to drive the ball, better, they get open looks off it. I think that that's what's going to help them. I think that I think Kansas is the best team left. I don't think it's really that close as to who the best team. I think it's Kansas. I think the other three teams are a level below them, to be perfectly frank. Um, the, the, where it could even out is that there are great coaches on all four teams. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to make it kind of, it's going to even things out and you can definitely have a bad game. Um, but I think that KU is, I, I don't know if they have to play their best game to win, but they can't play a poor game. None of these four teams can play a poor game.
0: No, no. And we've seen blowouts in the final four before, just because you're here doesn't guarantee it's going to be a competitive game.
1: Well, I agree with you there, and also I think these four teams are all four really talented teams. They're not. There's not one team that got through because they had a poor uh, a poor uh, run, right? And we can see that Kansas had the easiest path. It doesn't mean they're a bad team. No, it's because they had they had the, the easiest path. Right. They still had to win those games, and they're still a good team. I, mean, I
0: think the key for KU. We mentioned Remy Martin, you know, how well he's playing, as good as any player in the country right now. Ochi, you know, we need to see the way that he was in the regular season as the All-American player there. But for me, it's what is Big Dave, Dave David McCormick, going to do? Um, we've seen when David McCormick is on, this team's unstoppable. You can't beat Kansas when David McCormick plays well. Um, but it's – it's peaks and valleys with the guy, especially defending on the back end as well. I mean, uh, that can be a problem. You know, you, you look at this game against Villanova, Villanova is, uh, is going to be a little shorthanded. And, you know, there's going to be times where they're going to be playing, you know, a five-guard lineup uh, at points. And I wonder, okay, you know, if you're Kansas, you know, you might have to match that and go small yourselves, But that could also be an opportunity of you know what, Um, you're going to leave our big man. Why don't going to give us that matchup down low? Take advantage of it and see what you can do. I mean, there could be a big opportunity for for uh, for David McCormick in this Villanova matchup, and he's going to have to play well in both games uh, for Kansas
2: here.
1: I would agree with that, and I think he's going to have to have a big game. I don't think he has to have a big game, but he has to play well. They're KU needs to play bigger than than Villanova and they need to really reinforce um you know who they are they push the issue of who KU is they're gonna win this game yeah, yeah. And I just I, I think that's the way I would look at this and I, I think K is a favorite in the game a four and a half point favorite I mean it, it's they're a good. This is a good team. These are all good teams, but I think KU especially is good. I, I, I really do. I said on my podcast, I thought that the winner of Nova and KU is going to win the national title, and even if it's Villanova, I think if they figure out what to do with it, their guard that's injured, if they can figure out a way past Kansas, they can figure out a way past North Carolina or Duke. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I'll go short of calling it a de facto championship game, but I think that's the better game.
0: Here's what I think is going to happen. I think both games are going to be very good. Uh, I think they're going to be competitive. I think Kansas and Villanova is a game that could go back and forth the entire way, but I see Kansas pulling away late. They're, you know, four or four and a four, four-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I would pick Kansas to go ahead and not only win outright, but I think that they cover that four-point margin. And if you're a better betting man, you might be nervous for a bit, but I think that – Down the stretch, this Kansas team knows how to close games well. I think they find a way to pull it out late, win this game by maybe six or seven, maybe even eight points when it's all said and done. Duke, North Carolina, I like Duke, but I like this one to come down to the very last possession. I think this is how it goes. I think Duke wins, but I think North Carolina covers and keeps it within that four-point margin. That's how I would bet this weekend I would not bet either game with a whole lot of confidence Uh, I feel better about Kansas obviously with them covering and such but that would be the move for me Bo I would go with Kansas to to big Villanova and cover I'd go with Duke to win on the money line but I would go with North Carolina to cover and I'd take Kansas to uh, win it all on Monday night too how would you go about looking uh, at this weekend with the lines and such
1: first off you need to fade my action whatever it is but here's the thing yeah, we learned that during football season we learned that during football season um i agree with you 100% actually uh, i think you take north carolina i think north carolina is going to beat duke um, but i would definitely play north carolina plus the points kansas minus the points i i think in the end KU is going to be too much for villanova and in the end i think that duke's going to get heartbroken uh, but if i would but i would I like the idea of me keeping a little bit of uh, a little bit of my line open and not taking the money line on North Carolina. Did they go ahead and take the, taking the points?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right about that. So there you have it. That's uh, our look at the uh, Final Four this weekend. We're going to have more on the Final Four when uh, our guy Scott Chasen joins us in uh, just a few moments. Also, uh, Coach Bowes' football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group coming up later on, and we have plenty to discuss there. As we'll have the latest on Bruce Arians with his move to move on from the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Also, going to talk to Sean Watson. Uh, got our top Fullery story of the week. All that and more as we continue. We'll roll on. Final Four preview with Scott Chasen on the other side. Stay with us, Aaron Jones. Joining us now here on the Jones sport this week is none other than Scott Chasen. You know him from the drive in Topeka. He is the co-host of that show on WIBW also was on the KU beat for a long time for about every outlet you can think of from 24 seven sports to the journal world, to the capital journal. He uh, has done it all and continues to still be all over this uh, final four this weekend. We're pleased to welcome Scott Chasen
3: back into the show Scott, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Hope you're doing well. What's going on? Uh, not much, TJ. It's good to be back on with you. It's been a while since I've been on one of these. You're right. It was 24-7 sports at the time. I have hopped around around a little bit. Clearly, people like me so much. They just keep keeping me around. That's what's happening there.
0: That's great. And uh, <laughs> you're, you're doing some stuff on the side, uh, your, your day job now uh, with uh, UMKC and such. So tell us about uh, what's going on there, man.
3: Yeah, no, UMKC is awesome. I, I work now in marketing, a little bit different than kind of the daily, uh, or I should say hourly grind of journalism, because as you know, that can be any hour of any day at any time. But uh, no, it's it's really exciting. University life has been really cool. And the thing uh, of why I wanted to go work for UMKC was that it's very immersed within the city of Kansas City, which gives it kind of a cool and unique sort of perspective as maybe part of its own little college. I wouldn't say a college town, but it's like college area. And then you kind of immerse that into a a big city. And it's, it's, it's really a cool blend.
0: That's great. Happy for you. Glad things uh, are going well, Scott, you and I are not in new Orleans, but Mm -hmm. we get the Mm -hmm. chance to kind of sit back and still watch this uh, weekend unfold here. First off, I got to ask you, what do you make of the final four matchups? Not only Kansas and Villanova, but, North Carolina and Duke as well. What do you think of these two games here on Saturday, Scott?
3: Well, brand names, Tyler. I mean, this is uh, the final four of Blue Bloods, whatever you want to call it. Personally, I think Villanova is probably as close to being up there as you can be, maybe without being, you know, a Kansas or North Carolina or Kentucky Duke, you know. Um, Look, this is a really exciting final four that came from a tournament that uh, had a ton of crazy upsets. You know, I was looking at my bracket today – I haven't looked at it in a while for good reason. There hasn't been much of a reason <laughs> <Right here>.
2: to.
3: <laughs> and I, when I looked, I was like, first round was pretty good. It was like 25 out of 32. Now, if you only pick favorites, that's about as well as you would do. But I did pick a few upsets along the way. Okay. And then it just kind of hit this Armageddon. Like right in the second round of the tournament, when one seed started started losing, obviously Baylor lost, Gonzaga lost, I believe, what in the Sweet 16. And then you have Kentucky, obviously went down in the first round. Auburn goes out to a 10 seed. And it it kind of resulted in this mayhem that slowly found itself with all these blue bloods kind of rising back to the top. So um, yeah, from this insane NCAA tournament, we get a star studded finale and I'm excited for both games. I think both games have the potential to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I do too. And uh, let's start with that. uh, Kansas Villanova game here, Uh, Scott, uh, you know, I look at these two teams uh, you know, in, in KU's case, I think they've played as well as anybody has throughout the country the last few weeks. You go back to the Big 12 tournament in particular, and this team really flipped the switch when Bill Self figured out how to use Remy Martin in, in that sixth-man
3: role uh, of the way he's been able to come along here. Kansas has been a different team since. Yeah, absolutely. And, and think about where Remy Martin was when he returned and played at Baylor. I think he played 11 minutes in that game. And, you know, this is not being overt overly critical. I I thought he was so bad defensively at the time I was wondering like internally, how is this guy ever going to get back in the rotation? He looked a step slow. He looked more than a step, a step slow. Uh, he, He was kind of out of sync in terms of what he was supposed to do. Rotation wise, he was letting guys go by him. He was overplaying when he shouldn't, it was really a mess. And you could tell pretty much, you know, the next game it got a little better and then, something happened over those next two, three games where he got comfortable. He sort of found the player he was at the beginning of the year when he was playing 25 ish or whatever minutes a game and averaging about 10 points. And he's only taken off from there. And it's really hard to explain. You know, you listen to bill self in one of his press availabilities this week, he talked about, he never could have imagined that Remy Martin would end up being as good as he is. But the fact of the matter is. If you're a Kansas fan and you just started watching in the postseason you would think Remy Martin is this team's best player. That's because even if he's not, he's been their engine. And he's been the guy who creates uh, things when when it does look good. So, yeah, the Kansas-Villanova matchup is fascinating to me because these are two very, very, very similar teams, how they profile offensively, defensively, Villanova shoots more threes, but a lot of, you know, exciting offense, good fundamental defense, KU more lately than earlier in the year, with one very key difference, which is Villanova is one of the 20 slowest teams in the country, and if Kansas had its way, it would be one of the 20 fastest teams in the country. So I'm very excited to see who controls tempo as uh, these two really good teams clash.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at what Remy Martin's doing, and I said before the tournament, Scott, that I thought that this Kansas team had to get Remy Martin involved if they were going to make a deep run in this tournament. I thought that if Remy Martin wasn't playing at a high level, you'd be talking about this team being potentially a second-round exit team. And I look back at it, you know, if Remy Martin doesn't have the game he does against Creighton, Creighton probably wins. Um, you know, the game against Providence, you know, Remy Martin stepped up and not everybody played great in that game. And and sure enough, they pulled that one out here. I mean, his impact. We've seen this before. I remember you and I were in San Antonio <laughs> a few years ago and saw Kansas have a similar impact with uh,
3: Malik Newman turning it on at the right time, leading them to the final four there. Yeah. You know, I actually spoke to Malik Newman a couple years after that, or, or it was one year after that. Uh, and it was when Quentin Grimes was going through his struggle in 2018, 19. Yeah, and you know that was the comparison. I talked to some KU assistants, and and they said, "Hey, Malik did it. Why can't Quentin?" And when I talked to Malik, the one thing that that he told me that I maybe didn't expect as much was how much kind of the outside noise he sort of had to to figure out how to be comfortable with that, how to be comfortable with the roller coaster, the up and downs of. I think he got benched at one point. He was really kind of struggling to gel with what Bill Self wanted. And, you know, really the thing that got him going other than a game against Iowa State where they kind of game plan to let him be the guy who went off, which there's a similarity to the Creighton game where they were playing a defense to let Dewan Harris shoot. And then when Remy came in, they just kept playing the same defense, which was just a mistake. It got Remy into a groove and he got going. But, you know, for Malik Newman, his fastball or, or his, his kind of go to fallback thing was late in games when everyone was kind of, you know, winding down or getting tired, exhausted, all that he just start driving and getting to the hole, and that became the thing that Bill Self could trust him for. You know, late-game offense, let's run something, let's get the ball to this guy. Remy Martin's a little different. He's not scoring at the rim as much. He doesn't shoot free throws like Malik did during that stretch. But very similarly, he's found his area, which is kind of this controlled chaos and getting into the paint, you know, getting by guys off the bounce, finding ways to spray the ball out to shooters, creating offense, creating havoc. And now Bill Self knows he can trust him to do that. And that has allowed Bill Self, I think, to give him a much bigger role because you were dead on, Tyler. Uh, without without Remy, without Remy doing what he's been doing, this team probably loses a couple of games ago. Um, if not, Creighton, maybe they figured that out, but certainly probably to Providence um, with the way that game went. So they've absolutely needed him, and Bill Self has had to adjust too.
0: And abaji has not played great this tournament, not like what we saw of the All-American talent he was mm-hmm. If if Kansas is going to win these two games this weekend, Scott, they're not only going to have to have Remy Martin continue to play at this level, but we need to see the Ochai Obagi that we saw prior to the big 12 tournament, a, a combination we need to see two worlds come together. I would think.
3: Yeah. O- Ochai. And there's so much more room for him to play better offensively. You know, for him, he's kind of a, a weird player case of a guy who doesn't necessarily overly seek out his own shot but still ends up usually taking a lot of them in the flow of the offense because any Ochai Abaji shot, save for really like a contested mid-range shot, is a, a very good shot, and that's you know the type of score he's been. He was right about 20 points per game for the regular season, just a notch below that. I, I think the, the promising sign, if you are an Ochai uh, believer and want to believe in him, I don't think he's injured or hurt, and my case for that would be that Providence game where Felt like he blocked every shot. He was everywhere defensively. He really turned up his own energy, even while his offense didn't come around. And then it came around sort of in the second half of that game against Miami. We're still on pretty low volume, but he ended up with a nice point total, I think 18 points that KU fans were used to seeing. So he he does, he has to find a way to turn it on. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be comfortable taking some of those, you know, quote unquote marginal shots that he was taking that are good shots for him because he's capable of making them. And, you know, I think if he comes out and has a good first half in the first game in the final four i think he'll feel like his old self and and just kind of take off from there
0: uh villanova guard justin moore is going to be out he's got that torn achilles uh for, for bill self and this kansas team who does this benefit wise does kansas do much differently comparably speaking
3: if moore was playing for villanova here I think some things will change in in part because Villanova, like Kansas, really only plays six guys. And the seventh guy for Kansas is Mitch Lightfoot, who does play. He gets into every game for sure, but he's averaging low double-digit minutes. Uh, really, Kansas has its five starters and Remy, and anyone else kind of after that is, you know, whoever needs to play because of foul trouble and minutes. And Villanova has largely been the same, maybe even more dramatic because – you know, you look at the minutes on their guys. I haven't pulled up. It's like 34, 35, 30, 27, 25, 30. You know, that's, that's a very tight six man group. So I think it adds some uncertainty, uh, I think, which could help Kansas now, You know, I I don't want to make too much of it because he's a good player. He's a good three-point shooter. He's a good scorer. He does a little bit of everything. But when I think of Villanova and I think of their most dangerous players, it starts with Colin Gillespie, the way he controls the game, especially I mentioned just playing at such a slow tempo. And then he's absolutely automatic, over 90% from the free throw line. So he's the guy you start with when you start looking at Villanova. And then Jermaine Samuels has been a guy who is such a matchup problem and I think will be a matchup problem for Kansas. Curious to see uh, if they even end up going small at some point. Jalen Wilson at the five, maybe KJ Adams, just to kind of deal with that matchup. Because those are really the two guys to me that make Villanova go. I do think Moore's a great player. Obviously, I think Villanova would much rather have him than not. their second leading scorer. But I don't think Villanova necessarily changes too much compared to how I think they would have changed if they were without one of those other two guys.
0: Yeah, and you and I had a front row seat over the last uh, several years of what Villanova has done to Kansas uh, in the NCAA tournament, uh, knocking them out in the uh, Final Four, and just what mm-hmm. was an ugly game in 2018. A couple of years prior, the Elite Eight, uh, Villanova, you know, ended the number one overall seed Kansas's mm-hmm. hopes of going to the Final Four. There, uh, you know, historically speaking, Jay Wright and Villanova have fared very well against Kansas here. What do you think of that, the the history prior of uh, of Jay Wright and uh, Bill Self here? seems like Jay Wright's had a little bit of an edge.
3: Yeah, and they've played a couple good regular season games too. Um, I was in Philadelphia when Villanova won a, a down-to-the-finish game where it was really Devon Dotson, and this was in Devon Dotson's sophomore year where he was magnificent, second-team All-American. But down the stretch of that, that was one game that he really let get away from him. He didn't play well. I think... I can't remember all the instances might've had a turnover or two mixed in there and Kansas lost Marcus Garrett had been injured in that game team didn't play particularly well. And then obviously they figured it out after that. Devon Dotson was a huge part of the reason why, but I think Villanova is a unique team from a few different standpoints. They shoot a ton of threes relative to how many field goal uh, attempts they take. They play at such a slow tempo. Jay Wright is such a smart, such a good coach who recruits versatile uh, pieces that, that really fit into their scheme. And then there are little quirks and gimmicks, like how many times have you seen a Villanova point guard post somebody up? You know, you don't really see that a whole lot in college basketball or how many times do their wings just sort of interchange to where the guy who's playing the two or the three, he can really do what the guy who's playing the five is doing. And sometimes the guy who's playing the five is every bit as mobile as the other team's three man. So um, I think stylistically Villanova presents challenges for teams uh, that wouldn't see teams like Villanova so often. I think Villanova would fit right in in a power conference and be an incredibly difficult matchup on a, and any night in a different way, sort of like a Texas Tech with just so many interchangeable parts and, and big guys are guys who do different things. So I think that's part of the reason why, but yeah, Jay Wright has had Bill Self's number as of late, uh, save for a couple of matchups and uh, not many coaches can claim that in college basketball.
0: You know, you look at what, what Villanova has done the last few weeks, you know, they, they, they had the win against Providence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they uh, you know, took care of business against Creighton in the, in the big East tournament. Uh, you know, they looked good against Ohio state, Looked good against Michigan the defensive matchup against Houston that they had, that one, you know, low scoring, but looked really good, particularly on that end here. This Kansas team, the last few weeks, I don't feel like Scott has played quite to their full potential yet. I think their best basketball still potentially could be in front mm-hmm. of them. I mean, you're talking about in Kansas is of the NCAA tournament, you know, a, a great game against the 16 seed in, in Texas Southern, a great – half against Miami, but then really a lot to be left desired here. I mean, you, I, I think Villanova might be, the, as of late, the more polished team between these two.
3: Yeah, I think Villanova doesn't really make mistakes, and it was actually that Houston game. I, I was really high on Houston. I was excited, uh, not that I have any relationships with any of these kids, but I was excited for them uh, getting right. the chance to take down Arizona and then getting to, to kind of prove it against Villanova. Houston, to me, was like this ultimate neutralizer team that they were so athletic. I mean, they look like football players playing basketball. They're so athletic. They're so big. They're so strong. They're so energetic. They're so, you know, just kind of beat you up. That's how they play basketball that I really wanted to see how Villanova would survive a test like Houston and Villanova almost just said, okay, that's the way you want to play. That's the way we're going to play this game too. And we're going to grind this one out. And we're going to show you that we can grind past a physical team that." you know I I don't want to say embarrassed Arizona because they did not but I would say in terms of how they Houston controlled the game with physicality they asserted their dominance against a team like Arizona and showed them you know and and by the way it was the same against Illinois and showed them like hey you've got athletes you've got good players but this is our game and we control this game so I thought for Villanova basically to turn the tables on Houston incredibly impressive Uh, and you're right you know Kansas is best half in the NCAA tournament was the last one that they played against Miami. Now it took a little bit of time for them to get there. And really, other than the 16 seed game, it's been a little bit of time since Kansas has put two halves together. And I think part of that is the interchangeable part of Remy Martin and him getting up to speed and then figuring out, you know, the best ways to, to kind of play with him and use him. uh, And maybe that has some kind of an effect as you go through an entire game, but yeah, Kansas to me has been trending the right direction, even while not necessarily playing their best. And I think that's an important distinction, too, because as long as they continue to trend that that way, they can get that kind of top performance that they need. They've shown it defensively lately. You know, they're, they're able to to at least dictate a game enough to, to stay in it long enough to where when they are playing well, they can take it over. And that's really important because, yeah, they can't survive a slow start against a team like Villanova that will you know, really kind of suck the life out of the ball or, or take the air out of the building, um, you know, if, if Kansas does get off to a poor start and is trying to grind their way back.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Scott. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, if, if you want a measuring stick of some sorts, if if this Kansas team can play to what they did in that Big 12 tournament championship <laughs> against Texas Tech, that game right there, if that's your measuring stick, if you put a performance like that, in a little, let's say a little bit better, that should get you the two wins you need this weekend. I think that's mm-hmm. realistic. If they play like they did against TAC, I think they'll be in great shape for these two, two, this matchup against Villanova, and then the potential matchup
3: with Duke or North Carolina. Yeah, well, and and I think the other thing is. How crazy is it? you look at this bracket. First of all, if North Carolina wins. it will be a complete contrast of styles. Uh, North Carolina I've described, they are like the best bad basketball team I've ever seen. Yes. Like they have all, all these guys who don't necessarily fit together all the time and they're so up and down. like Brady Manic is a good example of this but if Brady manic is reigning in threes, like there's really not much you're going to be able to do. And then their guards get into the lane. And if you know, it just Caleb love starts hitting shots. All of a sudden it's like, who is this team that, that has been red hot as of late. And, And again, then you look at Duke and you would say, you know, North Carolina has these kind of unique matchup guys. Duke just has this massive front court that is so athletic NBA talent that just can beat you up physically. Like we were talking about with some of those other teams or just kind of flex its talent and go to work and hit difficult shots and score in creative ways. So um, I will be very interested if Kansas does get past Villanova for that adjustment and that turnaround. And I, I would bet money that Bill self spent at least maybe not a lot of time, but there was something, at least a little bit of time devoted to something that might help out in that second game, just being so stylistically different if indeed Kansas does get past Villanova. And I think you've got to do that um, just because you only get one day in between and you really don't want to tire guys out and stress them out at the same time. So you, you kind of have to do your work on the front end.
0: Scott, I know you're a big NBA guy too. And when I look at this weekend, you know, Ben Churro, this guy's going to be what a top three pick, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Kansas has got potential first round guys and, and Ochi and Christian Brown and such and looking down the line, but for this weekend alone, who do you think of the four teams? Who is going to be the best player? I mean, even Brady Maddock, the run that he's been on as of <laughs> late, he's got to be in the conversation. Who do you think is going to be the, the, the number
3: one player of these four teams this weekend? I'm going to give an off-the-wall answer that I kind of believe because when I watch Duke, as good as Paolo is and as, good as, as much as he makes a difference – Mark Williams to me is the guy on that team that when he is turned up and playing like, like he can, that's scary because I I don't know any team that's remaining that certainly none of the four teams in the final four that have a one-to-one answer for that kind of a physical presence rebounder on the inside. Great shot blocker. I think he's averaging. Uh, Last I checked, it was close to three a game on the season. So, I, I mean, he can be just a destructive force. I don't know best player is tricky, but maybe most impactful player, that's a guy I would look at. Now, obviously, Colin Gillespie controls a game, right? If he wants to pound, you know, go slow, control the tempo, all that stuff, he sets Villanova up for success. He'd be a candidate there too. Ochai Abaji would be, if I'm picking three, he's he's also on that list. And truthfully, I, I think it's those three players, Ochai, Colin Gillespie, and you know, you see what happens. Whoever controls their game the best, I, I believe, between the two of them is probably going to have a team going to the final four or going to the national championship game. And then with Mark Williams, you know, if he controls that game for Duke, they're going to beat North Carolina. And if he controls the national championship game, they're going to win the national championship. So uh, those are kind of the three guys that I think a lot of these games hinge on, especially because a lot of them have other pieces around them who are pretty consistently good. But very rarely do they make the kind of impact in a game that, that some of those three do.
0: Scott Jason joining us here at the Jones Sport this week. You know, Scott, I'll be honest. I am a little annoyed of how much Coach K is consuming the energy (laughs) of this Final Four weekend. But even with that being said, of the possible outcomes here, the stories are going to be terrific. Either Coach K loses to North Carolina again and Hubert Davis in his first year goes to a Final Four, or Coach K is in the national championship in his final year Bill Self or Jay Wright, two Hall of Fame coaches. One of those two is going to be in the championship game. I mean, whatever scenarios you want to play out here, the stories are going to be terrific.
3: Oh, I absolutely. And it, it's college basketball is one of those things where it's so hard to win a first national championship, really. But then a second one, and Jay Wright has obviously done that. Coach K has done that. Um, the, the list of active coaches who have won two titles is always small. It's always like one hand basically. And, and some of those guys, like, for example, Rick Pitino, they don't fall on that list anymore. Or, you know, what, like Jim Calhoun, not coaching anymore, or Billy Donovan not coaching anymore. So it's a very short and selective list, especially of the active guys. And I look at that from a perspective of what that could do for Bill Self. You mentioned Hubert Davis, what a, a, a title could do for his career, uh, especially when, you know, people in, at North Carolina had to be at least a little uncomfortable as they're, you know, kind of creeping into the tournament as, what, an eight seed? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, those those are the two. And then the other two guys have already won a bunch, and they could continue to add to their legacy, you know, as much as everyone, myself included, likes to hate on Coach K a little bit. Uh, Coach K going out on top, not rooting for it, not hoping it happens. I think he'd be insufferable. That would be, a, <laughs> that, that would be something, though, man. That would be a crazy Crazy story, and you know it'd probably be fitting of arguably the greatest college basketball coach, in, you know, in the history of the sport. So, yeah, the storylines in this Final Four are amazing. The matchups are crazy. I can't believe North Carolina and Duke are actually playing uh, a Final Four game. That feels surreal. That North Carolina was the team that escaped from that sort of bracket of madness. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be amazing. Uh, New Orleans is going to be popping off, and I no no result absolutely none would shock me, maybe save for North Carolina, you know, dominating two games and winning a national championship. You tell me anything else happens. I I would very much believe it.
0: Yeah, I I would too. Uh, That's a, that's a great point. And, 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 you know, I mean, looking at, you know, this weekend of of these possibilities that we talk about here, if you give me a dream scenario here, you know, I, I don't cover Kansas anymore so I can root for them, you know, and, and, I, as somebody you know, just wanting to see this, now that we've gotten to this point, I didn't want Coach Gay to get the Final Four before, but now that he's already there, <laughs> mm-hmm. at this point, I'm like, Scott, go ahead, get him to the championship game, and let's see Kansas straight up beat Coach Gay in the national championship. That's That's what I want to see now.
3: Yeah, that that would be something. And then you'd have like three mass mass street stormings. The first would be for the (laughs) game, the championship win. The second would be after Coach K's press conference when everyone realizes his career is over. And his third one would be two months later after everyone makes sure he's going to stay retired uh, and not pull at Tom Brady and come back like 45 days after retiring for the first time. So no, it would be crazy. Um, I think Kansas Duke's probably the most likely national championship matchup, which considering where Kansas was a couple months ago, you know, losing that game to Kentucky where Duke was on selection Sunday, being the team that everyone said, you know, why did they get a two seed? They should really be a three. They had Texas tech as their three. That's not easy. Gonzaga's in their bracket. Um, really, it's been kind of improbable that we'd even get to this point. And the fact of the matter is both those teams, their one went away from uh, making that scenario happen.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's something incredible for sure to, uh, to see how that all has uh, has played out at this point, Scott. This has been the first normal tournament we've had mm-hmm. in a couple of years, and you know we're, we're seeing. We mentioned the Blue Bloods in the file here. We had the story of St. Peter's going all the way to the mm-hmm. Elite Eight. Some of the upsets, and you know the great crowds on hand here. I mean, this is one of the best tournaments I can remember, maybe maybe ever, Scott. I mean, I, I've enjoyed every minute of it. What's it been like for you? If, uh, you know sitting back and watching this uh th- this been one of the more
3: entertaining ones for you Oh absolutely and I mentioned this to you before we started recording but I took some time to make sure I could watch every single game go to sports bars have all the you know when I'm at my apartment I have TV on laptop on sometimes phone on multiple games going um iPad going you know just consuming as much as I can and yeah I mean this tournament it's had upsets it's had games that you didn't You know, it hasn't just had the upsets because there are always upsets where people expect it to happen. And this year it was really like the the Iowa, you know, everyone expected Iowa to go far. Everyone expected Providence to lose. And it ended up being the flip of that or St. Peter's. You know how many people had Kentucky going all the way, you know, to a championship, a Final Four. I certainly did. Uh, in fact, they were. Was, yeah, was out early. Yeah. <laughs> Ten. They were one. I mean, they were red hot going into this thing. Gonzaga losing to Arkansas was a shock. There is a villain. Duke is the villain for ninety-five percent of the nation. Maybe I'm under. Maybe I'm overselling that. Maybe like ninety percent. There are a lot of Duke fans, but yeah, I mean, this tournament has been freaking awesome. And maybe it's the star power of college basketball. Maybe it's our collective awareness of how many great players are at so many different places because of things like the transfer portal. Um, this tournament's been incredible. And if every tournament would, was like this, I would never complain about one of them. You know, we, we talked for a long time, Scott, about,
0: you know, this sport being hurt by the one and duns and such and what it was doing and interest had, had gone down and such the transfer portal i think scott has been one of the best things to ever happen for college basketball i know that you know some fans you know get frustrated and such with when their favorite player may go Mm -hmm. to another school or maybe you didn't get as many guys you needed whatever it might be you know tougher to, to rebuild a program whatever it is all those things out there with that being said um looking at this season you know the the regular season was entertaining too i know (laughs) Most of the country doesn't care about the college basketball regular season. But with that being
3: said, Scott, I would give a lot of credit what the portal's done for this sport here. I I think at the top it's definitely helped, and it's helped with reload potential of teams. Because if you think about a team like Kansas, which in any given year could have incredible success, go to a Final Four, and then everyone's going to the draft, even though maybe they wouldn't be drafted in the first round, but their stock is so high coming off a deep tournament run. Um, This doesn't apply to Sfima Luke; He was a senior. but he's the shining example I give of if McIluke never played in the elite eight against Duke, V so doesn't get drafted where he got drafted by the Lakers because Magic Johnson happened to be watching that game. And that started the Lakers interest in him and whether or not that was the only reason he got drafted by them. Magic Johnson even said he watched him guard Marvin Bagley and said, whoa, this guy doesn't just shoot threes. He's actually kind of muscling up against this lottery pick." So he had a double double in that game. So um, I think this era with the transfer portal makes it harder to maybe retain some of your talent, especially the talent that sits at the end of the bench. And if you want to argue that at times that will hurt, you know, um, fan passion, maybe, or, or guys won't be as attached to a guy who has come up through a program over four years. That's certainly a possibility. Now, not everyone transfers because as we've learned, sometimes you try to transfer and you realize there really isn't another spot for you, but right. you know, I, I, I think generally it's done a lot of good in terms of giving you these really nice stacked powerhouse teams that people really want to watch. You know, I, North Carolina is by far, we could say, the worst team um, of the four in the final four, at least in terms of what they did resume-wise in the regular season. And, yeah, people know Caleb Love. People know Armando Baycott if they followed that program. But everyone knows Brady Manick. Brady Manick was the Oklahoma shooter who then went to North Carolina. The Larry Bird lookalike, yes. (laughs) Exactly. Texas is the same way. You know, Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop. These were people who transferred in. And yes, Texas has guys that came up through the program and were really good, but everyone wanted to know okay, how do these transfers fit? Remy Martin, how many times do you hear a national program talk about Kansas? And yes, they talk about Ochi, they talk about Christian Brown, but there is sometimes David McCormick, but the first name out of their mouth is always Remy Martin, just because it adds that excitement, um, almost like in the NBA of how are these pieces going to fit together? And so, I still think there's a happy medium. You don't want too many guys transferring, especially when it starts to hurt kind of the high school numbers because you're using scholarships on incoming transfers and not on high school players. And eventually at some point that's all got to balance out more of a football thing than a basketball thing. But um, I do think it creates excitement. It creates dream matchups and situations that you'd never expect such as you know, Remy Martin being the guy for one team in the final four and Brady Manick being the guy for another team in a conference he didn't play for in the final four.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the people I work with, one of my producers, he's uh he's an Arizona state grad. And he was (laughs) telling me all his Arizona state buddies are living vicariously as Kansas fans throughout the entire tournament. They've been Mm -hmm. rooting for Remy and that's their guy, you know, and there's no hard feelings about him leaving Arizona state. He left for a blue blood program. So, and here he is. So yeah, I'm sure that's, you know, very similar you know situations for for other guys that have transferred. Last thing before we let you go, Scott, uh, you know I
3: had to end on this. Uh, when when you go to Hideaway Pizza, what's the go to order? <laughs> My order is so disappointing, as it should be to everyone, because it's basic. In fact, I got made fun of this today um, by someone at Pizza Fifty One when I ordered a slice of cheese pizza. I love Hideaway. Okay, Hideaway is the best pizza in the world. Okay. It just happens to be based in Oklahoma, where I'm from. It's not a coincidence. It's just okay. a fact. I will get either a plain, like a regular cheese pizza, pepperoni pizza. Sometimes, if I'm if I want to pretend like I'm healthy, spinach and, and and mushroom. You get the fried mushrooms on the side, and you get the warm baked chocolate chip cookie with like hot, you know, chocolate syrup over the top. Get some ice cream. There is nothing better than that meal in the history of mankind. I have never had. Doesn't matter how expensive, how nice, how fancy, whatever. There's no meal better than that, uh, and to think that it's in Tulsa and Norman and Oklahoma City and surrounding areas. Um, don't know how it happened, but I do know that it did happen.
0: Okay, uh, cheese pizza. You know what? I, I won't give you a hard time about that. That's that's a, a safe bet on uh, <laughs> the cheese pizza. I, I'm, you know, the last time I went there, I I just had pepperoni, so I can't really mm-hmm. add much. But they put like a hundred pepperonis on <laughs> this one slice. I was amazed by it. You little over the top, but not a problem for me.
3: Scott, uh, before we let you go, uh, tell people where they can find you and uh, see all the uh, great stuff you're doing, man. Well, I always welcome, I I tweet out any of the stuff we're doing, especially with the show, at Chase and Scott on Twitter. And then, yeah, the drive, if you happen to be in Topeka or kind of the west areas of Lawrence, you get that on CBS. It comes on Sunday nights after uh, the local late news there. And yeah, it was really cool uh, to do a show right after KU was going to the Final Four. I mean, just a couple hours later, that's when we tape. Uh, last week, and we'll be doing them on Sunday uh, again this week. So it'll be right in between those games. So I'm really looking forward to that. Scott, always a pleasure,
0: my friend. Thanks for joining us. We'll be talking again down the line. Yeah, thanks for having me, TJ. That's for Coach Miller's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online. O-A-G-Q-S.com, O'Connor Advisory Group.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's Brian with a Y dot O'Connor at LPL.com and you can check out O'Connor Advisor group on Facebook as well as the coach Bo knows podcast part of the studio soapbox network with new episodes out each and every Monday and Friday. And Bo joins us right now from beautiful Lawrence, Kansas, where everybody is excited right now as the Jayhawks are headed to the final four in new Orleans this weekend, Bo, I know you're not a KU guy, but you're in Lawrence. I imagine though, the energy still got to be somewhat infectious of sorts.
1: Yeah, I'm rooting for these guys. I've gotten the chance in the last few weeks to get to know a few of these guys. And, you know, we are also friend of the show, Coach Quarterbon, you know, one of the assistant coaches at KU's friend of the show. And I can't help but like this team. So I'm rooting for them. And there is a lot of excitement in Lawrence. We're talking about 100,000 people being in town this weekend for the game Saturday. It's going to be crazy if they win Saturday. It's going to be even crazier on Monday if if they win then. Um, it's almost like once-in-a-lifetime in a kind of things. It's, I mean, it's been now, what, 14 years since KU won the national title in 2008. So uh, if you haven't experienced that, it's, it could happen again in a few short days.
0: Yeah. Bo, let's uh, get started on the NFL front in what has been the craziest offseason I can ever recall, and we're not even to the draft yet. News was just starting to slow down a little bit, and then within a couple of hours of you and I recording this, Bruce Arians decides to hang it up and retire uh, for the second time as uh, as an NFL head coach. Uh, this time with the Buccaneers, and this comes after Tom Brady uh, announced he was coming back just a couple weeks ago. And uh, Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, former head coach of the Jets, will take over as head coach of the Bucks now. So. With that being said, Bo, a couple things here. Um, do you think Tom knew this was in the works if he were to come back? And do you think Tom had anything to do with maybe pushing Bruce Arians towards retirement here?
1: I don't think he had. I have the second question first. I don't think he had anything to do with pushing Bruce Arians toward retirement. I think, if anything, Bruce Arians is a net positive for Tom Brady. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to the first question, whether that's, If Brady was aware, you know, I wonder if BA, you know, Bruce Arians, if he knew about Brady coming back, you know, when they were talking about that, I, I find this whole thing intriguing and you're right that we've had so much going on behind the scenes and man, this is a, uh, an interesting wrinkle now because there's also been some rumors about Brady and those have been mostly dispelled in the last few days about him possibly moving on to Miami but I don't see that happening. But this kind of brings that back into play for me a little bit. I wonder if that's going to be in play. I don't think so. But um, I find this all interesting. Uh, I'm glad. that I think the Bucs made the right move making Todd Bowles, the new head coach. Uh, See, that's where I disagree. I would have gone with
0: Leftwich. I
1: I, I think that Bowles is a better choice, got more experience. I think Leftwich is going to be a head coach in the NFL. I think he should be Jacksonville's head coach right now. But I think that you, with a veteran team and a team trying to run it back from two seasons ago, I think you go with the veteran and Todd Bowles, a guy who's universally respected in the league. I think that left, which would be better if you didn't have Brady. Not that I think him and Brady are on the same page. They obviously are offensively. I just think that, I think if you're looking at a veteran-laden team, I think it's better to have the veteran coach. I think that that's a better gig right
0: now. You know, what what I find fascinating, too, is that, you know, right from the beginning, there was rumors that Brady and Bruce Arians had a rift of some sorts. And within that first year, you saw Arians trying to force Brady to do things that weren't his strengths, things he wasn't comfortable with. He was throwing the football down the field way too much, throwing too many picks, but As they went along, Brady and Arians adapted, and it worked out for the better for both of them. And Tom Brady put up really good numbers uh, this past year, one of the best seasons of his entire career at this point. So now going forward, left, which is still there as OC, Todd Bowles takes over as head coach. He had an up-and-down tenure with the New York Jets. Early on, there was a lot of optimism about Todd Bowles. People thought that, this may be the next great head coach in this league. And then things went downhill there towards the end. So what do you think going forward? How does this affect this team uh, there in Tampa Bay? Can Todd Bowles take the Bucs to the promised land? Is he uh, good enough to get it done? Do you think there's a drop-off from Arians to Bowles here?
1: I I don't think there's going to be a huge drop-off. I think that it's going to be fine. I'm a big Bruce Arians guy and I like Bowles. I think that if you're going to try to pin Bowles, if you want to call it lack of success with the Jets, I would just point to, name me the last Jets coach that has been successful.
0: Uh, Rex Ryan.
1: Yeah. How many years ago was that? And how many coaches ago was that? Oh, wow. He yeah. was only good for the first couple of years and then it went to shit. It's, that's more of an organizational issue, I think, than anything else. I wouldn't put that on, I wouldn't put that evil on Todd Bowles. Uh, there's a lot of teams that would take Todd Bowles as their head coach right now, if they could. Um, I think that'd be fine. I think that also in the NFC, it's a little less competitive right now with all the way, the, the, the seemingly all the better teams are in the AFC. So um, really, if you're the Bucks, so you look at the division, they're the class act of the division right now. There's any question about that. And really, who's your biggest threat Issues in the NFC, probably the Rams and the Packers, but are you really worried about anybody else? I mean, they're just as good as anybody else that laces them up over there. So even with even with forty-four year old Tom Brady, I mean, I think that I think there's a lot of stability in the veteran coach keeping left, which is the as the OC. He'll be working with Brady. Then Brady brings a lot of stability as well. So as much as good as I think Bruce Arians is. You know, he's also just going upstairs. He's not gonna be you know leaving completely. He's uh, last, day today, but he'll be running, he'll be helping.
0: Last thing on uh, Arians. Uh you know, this is a guy that you know won at three different places. His one year there is the Colts head coach. Um, had a good run there in Arizona, Won Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, really good offensive coordinator as well in Pittsburgh, and in Indy won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. I know he was a head coach for a long time, but uh, has Aaron said enough to be a Hall of Famer? Ooh,
1: I don't think so. Um, I I think you have to have a little more uh, success at the head coaching level. I think he's a great coach. That's not a knock on Bruce Arians at all. But to be a – I mean, think about how long it took Jimmy Johnson to become a a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, to be a Hall of Fame coach – You got to have really done something fantastic. Not to say that Bruce Arians hasn't; he's won a Super Bowl, but I don't think that uh, he's a quite that quite that level of a Hall of Fame
0: coach. I take Bruce Arians over Tony Dungy any day.
1: Well, I I'm not going to argue that. I don't look. I I'm one of those guys that thinks that Jimmy Johnson should have been in light years before Tony Dungy. Um, I think that. BA is one of those guys I think that just it, it got started too late for him. Yeah. To really be a Hall of Fame coach. Now, if he was there five more seasons and had another Super Bowl win, you know, or got there another couple of times, yeah. Hell, I'll go for a step further. I'd take Bruce Arians over Andy Reid.
0: Yeah.
1: I think Andy Reid's had more long term success, but I think that you can argue that Bruce Arians at his best has been better than Andy Reid at his best.
0: Yeah, you can make that case. You very well could. Yeah. Uh, Bo, uh, new NFL overtime rules uh, in place and how it works. It only applies to the postseason yeah. where every team is guaranteed a possession. Even if you score a touchdown, the other team is guaranteed a possession. And then if it's still tied after each team has had a possession, then it goes into sudden death at that point. Now, the one caveat is if there is a safety in either possession, then the game is just over and ends right there. Uh, What's your reaction to the change in the overtime rule, Bill?
1: I'm happy that both teams get a shot, especially the playoffs, because you're looking at the better teams, you know, the better higher-end teams. I'm okay with not changing the rule during the season if it's – I don't know. I would like to see it consistent across the board in the perfect world, but I'm okay with making the change in the postseason and not the the uh, regular season. When you look at it, well, it's affected everybody differently. Um, you know, I just i they had to do something. We've had two of the last four seasons where a team has lost without receiving the ball. You had Buffalo this year. You had the Chiefs a couple of years ago against the Patriots. So I think that. Those examples are just standing out. And the fact that you're doing it in the playoffs is fine for me. Um, I would like to see it be throughout the full season. But at least they got that piece done.
2: Now, here's
0: where I look at, Bo. Uh, This is what infuriates me, is the excuses that we're hearing, the lies from the NFL owners. They want to sit here and tell us that it's about player safety. safety. (laughs) When just a year ago (laughs) – This is the same league that expanded the season to 17 games. This is not about player safety. Be honest with us. Tell us what this is really about, which is allowing CBS to get the 60 minutes on time, allowing Fox to get to their animation domination, allowing NBC to get to the late local news, except on the West Coast. Uh, that's what this is really about here. Why do we have to sit here and lie about it and argue players' safety and not just say, look, we got to get to our TV programs on time. This is what the networks want. Why can't we just be honest and say that?
1: You know why? Because not everybody's as smart as you are. <laughs> some well, people are gonna, some people are just going to buy whatever bullshit you should give. <laughs> and, that's the, and, the, and no one's going to question the NFL. Except me. Yeah, well, you know, people who are smart like you.
0: Right. <laughs> That's to me, I I, I get I mean, really I mean, frustrated. I agree,
1: I agree. They should be more forthcoming on what they're doing it this way. You know, again, I'm not going to sit here and argue that I I, I just said I, they should do it the whole way through, but I realized they weren't going to go that far. And they're going to think, Ball. Gonna absolutely pull the player safety card. Absolutely. Which we know is just a crockable. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, if the player safety thing was real, then they would use these foam helmets that they use in those first couple days of training camp just all year long then. If they really gave a damn about player safety, then they would go to those things. I mean, like, let's let's be honest here. Now, the situation I see unfolding here, ball, when it's all said and done, is that we're going to get to Week 18 And there's going to be a game that a playoff spot is going to be decided because somebody got the ball and scored a touchdown, the other team didn't get possession. And then all of a sudden the NFL is going to have an epiphany and say, you know what, maybe we should apply that rule to the regular season as well. You know that's what's going to happen. That's the end game
1: here. Absolutely. It's, It's kicked the can under the curb as far as we can. And then when we have to make the change, when somebody else gets angry, we'll do it again. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's, that's status quo for the uh, NFL. It's never let's completely get the rule and everything right the first time.
0: And even then, with this new NFL overtime rule, is it better than what we had previously? Yes, but is it perfect? No, far from it. I still like the college overtime rule better than this currency. I,
1: I was just saying, I love the college overtime rule. I just I think the college overtime rule is the way to go. Because eventually either you don't play well enough on offense or the defenders make a play, make a play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's the way to go. I, I love the college, the college
0: rule. Well, and then too, Bo, um, you know, on, on the regular season front with games that can still end in times, if you want to argue both player safety or Hey, we got to get to 60 minutes, you know, those two excuses. Why not at the end of the day, go ahead and do like a two point conversion shootout or something. Why do we have to have ties still in modern day football? I, I don't
1: know. I agree. I think that, I think you should make them go for two in the, in the overtime. You know, I would even argue that I don't know how you get away with this, but at some point you got to go for twos in the regular season. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't mind a little more high scoring in those cases. I I think in overtime you should have to go for two. though.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Um, Get
1: the kickers out of it.
0: Well, I'm saying, like, even if you play the overtime period and it's tied, and you're trying to tell me it's a player safety deal, you can't take five more minutes to go back and forth on two-point conversions like a penalty shootout or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that the difference is that they're – you know they're professionals they are older you know they're older players I and mean, then i don't know i i don't disagree with your thinking i just don't think it's ever going to happen yeah like, there's too much narrow mindedness in the thinking in the NFL
2: yeah <laughs> you're not wrong
1: no, um the NFL really you know you and i both know the NFL doesn't care about any of this shit until they get called out on it like they did this time with the playoffs right it took a second it took a second time it didn't happen when the Chiefs and the Patriots had the issue four years ago. We mm-hmm. took it happening a second time to the Bills. Right. To for someone for people to go, okay, there's enough. The NFL look, you know what they had the biggest fights about? The money. Yes. That's when they're gonna go in and make sure the deal is structured correctly, is when it comes down to the dollar bills.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. We'll uh, move on. The uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, they moved on from Carson Wentz a couple weeks ago. They had their next quarterback in Matt Ryan. And all I'm hearing from, Bo, from their owner, Jim Irsay, is still blaming Carson Wentz for their failures last year, for them not getting to the playoffs, for losing to the Jags. Irsay just this past week was still talking about that it was Carson Wentz's fault that they lost to the Jags in the final week of the regular season and missed the playoffs here. Well, a couple things here. If I'm Carson Wentz, I gotta be like, what the hell are you doing still talking about me? We've moved on here. And then yeah, if you're, you're Matt
1: at your mouth.
0: Right? And then if you're Matt Ryan, you gotta be thinking, Hello, I'm right here. I'm your new quarterback now. I mean, why the hell is Jim Ursay still talking about Carson Wentz?
1: I think Jim is kind of a he's he's kind of an out there character anyway. Um, you know, I, I don't remember if it was you and I talked about this. I remember seeing the report that goes back to when the Colts got Carson Wentz, when the, the, the people, the offensive people, the front office people were in the room and they said, we're going to make this Carson Wentz trade. My understanding was the vote was seven to one against the trade. The lone gunman in this case who had enough power was the coach. It was Frank Wright saying, get me this guy. I can make this happen, and they come back to him now and said, "Hey, look, we, we already told you once you messed up, and if you want to keep him, we'll keep him, but it's your job's on the line now." And that they, that's my understanding of why Carson Wentz is really gone. They didn't want him there. A lot of folks didn't want him there in the first place, and I understand that. I, again, right. I was one of people have voted against. Him. Um, you know, I, we we talked at length over those past seasons. We knew that was a Frank Reich deal the whole way. And clearly Jim Ursay is Phil Phil still uh, still feels hurt about it and gave in to his coach and against everybody else in this case. I think the you, you point a finger at somebody, three fingers point back at you. And I think Jim Ursay's got three fingers pointing back at him as well. He let it happen. Yeah, there's enough people that are told about to do
2: that. Right. Um, If you're
0: Matt Ryan, and I know you're not the biggest of Matt Ryan fans by any means, but should this concern Matt Ryan at all that you just walked into this organization and they're still, you know, crying and pissing over the last quarterback that was here instead of moving on, looking towards the future? Does that show a sign of dysfunction in the organization?
1: No, I think I just generally say being an asshole. I really do. I think it's just Jim Irsay being Jim Ursay. and this is the guy who got popped with a whole bunch of a bag of pills in his car. I mean, this guy is not your normal billionaire, billionaire uh, football team owner. Uh, as far as Matt Ryan goes, like, this is a good fit for Matt Ryan. It's a veteran laden team. It runs the football. He's going to be good there. He's going to have a decent season. And, and, and I think he's going to the- be the best quarterback they've had
0: since Andrew Luck.
1: Yeah. Um, I heard an interesting stat about Matt Ryan. You take his best seasons in Atlanta, the uh, especially, especially the MVP season, his best seasons, his running backs ran for 1,000 yards or more. It was actually like 1,200 yards or more. His top, like, three finishes in the division with the Falcons, the years they won the division. Um, and the Colts have got a strong defense, and they've got a real strong running back. And a running best back running back in football. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that this is going to play to Matt Ryan fairly well. You were right. I'm not a big fan of his. I'm not a fan of anybody for the Falcons, but um, as a Saints fan, I'm not happy he's out of the division. Cause he always was a guarantee of us getting two wins a season. Uh, hey, it's true. He doesn't beat us at all. Um, but in, in Indy, he's going to be better. He's going to have, he's going to, he won't have a, an MVP type of season but he'll have a solid season. He'll be a middle-of-the-road quarterback.
2: Yeah, I think
1: you're right about that. He's a a, a top-half quarterback.
0: Sure. Uh, Deshaun Watson officially introduced as the Browns quarterback last week, and we've seen the contract details, all that money fully guaranteed of what he's about to receive and kind of changes the landscape of the quarterback market. Those are big headlines, of course. But then when you go to this introductory press conference, this was the first time we've heard Deshaun Watson speak in, what, a year and a half, two years? I mean, it's been a long time since we've heard from Deshaun Watson. And he says that he has no regrets whatsoever, um, which I find bizarre, even if you are completely innocent. Did something have to go wrong if you were civilly sued by 22 different women? And then you missed all of last year and you're about to be suspended like that. doesn't add up. And, you know, we're, we're supposed to believe, according to Sean Watson, that all the women are liars and such and all this. And, you know, and, and he says that, you know, he picked the Browns and had nothing to do with the contract and such. Um, Sean Watson, uh, I mean, welcome back to, you know, the universe. Uh, but. I don't know what planet he's living under, because I mean he's far from reality here, Bo.
1: I I have talked on my podcast back on Monday, and we've already recorded my piece for this on Friday's podcast as well. Um, I am so utterly offended at every level by this Deshaun Watson thing, and I'm offended at the level of Deshaun Watson, his lack of could be contrite. Uh, his he's just a flat out liar. He literally said that involving the contract, he said that the contract, quote, had nothing to do with why he picked Cleveland. Now, I'm not saying this because one of the four last teams were my team. I would have been very upset had my team traded for him. But what I will say is I think he's a liar. I think he's obviously clueless of what he's done. And he feels like what he's done has been nothing wrong. And I hope that this costs him more money than he will ever make. I hope these 22 women, take every damn dime he ever makes the rest of his life. And I will never be a fan of his or the Cleveland Browns. Jimmy Haslam should be ashamed of himself for what he's done here. Oh, the fact that Haslam
0: says, you know, that Baker Mayfield, we need an adult in the room at quarterback.
1: You got Deshaun Watson.
0: That's the adult you want in the room?
1: Now, look, I can understand that you can say you want an adult in the room and you're thinking about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield seems to behave in an immature way, but immature is far from inappropriate. Right. And while Deshaun Watson has not been charged criminally, 22 cases is not one or two people lying. And in his press conference, Deshaun Matson made it look like 22 different people were lying. Mm -hmm. I don't know how anyone can be a supporter of his right now. I don't know how anyone can support that team for doing this. I don't know what that team can do and good to get it to return its good graces to the, the city and the region. And I can't speak for ladies in this case, but as a man who's been married for 20 plus years, I know that my wife wouldn't have a goddamn thing to do with this guy or any team he was with if she was a fan oh yeah well and And i find it offensive if i as a man who can say some inappropriate things with his buddies from time to time can can do this can be offended i gotta believe that more people are well
0: and, and he says in this introductory news conference um you know that he feels like he didn't do anything wrong And, you know, that, uh, you know, as he's gone about this and such that he believes he's handled everything the right way and all this. And and I'm like, this guy is so out of just just reality here. It just does not make any sense to me. And I wonder, you know, as this has gone on here, you mentioned it would be hard for you to root for this guy. Where are the women's groups? Yeah. Where is the noise of the outcry about this, about this happening of Deshaun getting all this money and being the future of this franchise and such? Like, it seems like that the the public uh, perception has been a little quieter on this. Where is the
2: outrage,
0: Bo?
1: I wonder well, see so you when you look at the larger the macro level, where is that outrage? I agree with you. I wonder if it's just a total apathy for the Cleveland Browns already. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an organization that really, unless you're from Cleveland, you're not a Browns fan. And and I don't think that there are, I think most people look at that organization as a kind of a joke organization as is. I mean, we've got the owner here who's had other issues in the past too. I, I think there's just a, a straight up apathy toward the Cleveland Browns, possibly to the NFL as well. I mean, we have talked about the, the overtime rules. This is, we're all apathetic to what these these teams do. And I think that that's part of this as well. Is that we we're, we're tired, right? We're tired of, the, of this stuff. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. You know, no. whether it's I'm more look. We, we what have we talked about over the last month? Have we actually talked about on the field stuff in the last month? No. We, we, today we talked about Bruce Arians retiring. And that's, I guess, somewhat on the feet. We've talked about Baker Mayfield. We've talked about Deshaun Watson. New
0: overtime, Jim Irsay.
1: Last year in the offseason, it was Aaron Rodgers. A month ago, it was Aaron Rodgers. It, we, the drama is getting old in the NFL. And we don't see this in any other league at this level.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not the NBA, not Major League Baseball. But NFL is still the king of ratings. And not just in sports, but in all media. Yeah. Just an ap- We're all apathetic to it because we like watching it on Sunday.
0: Yeah. Um, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens offered him an extension at $35 million a year, and apparently he's not taking their phone calls and not talking to them right now. Bo, um, I'm going to go contrarian compared to – the rest of the you know mainstream media out there, I don't blame Lamar one bit. That's a disrespectful offer for an MVP. And I know that he hasn't played <laughs> as good since he won that MVP, but he is an MVP nonetheless, and young in his career and such. To me, that was so disrespectful. Um, I want to see Lamar go out there, ball out, have a big year, and do to the Ravens what Dak did to the Cowboys and force him to pay him a lot more money and give him no choice.
1: I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson too. I absolutely am. Um, for the Ravens to offer him $35 million a year when Deshaun Watson just got 46, million. Deshaun Watson's last four years of his contract are $46 million each. We're talking about a guy who was the MVP three seasons ago or two seasons ago. And let's be frank, we don't think about this, but for the first 10 games of the 2021 season, deshaun I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson was in the conversation for MVP. He was carrying that team while injured and then got worse injured while carrying the entire team on his back. That dude was playing at an MVP level in 2021. Yeah. He just gets hurt, but he's carrying the entire franchise. The Ravens should absolutely pay him. And they should, and and the Deshaun Watson thing makes it even harder because now Lamar Jackson can say, wait a minute, he got 230 million for five seasons, fully guaranteed. And you're going to come up off me 35 million?
2: Mm hmm.
1: And we say in the South, that dog don't hunt. Not only should he get more money than Deshaun Watson, he's been more successful. And he's a model citizen. Mm -hmm. There's not 22 counts against Lamar Jackson. No. This is a whole thing. The Browns have screwed everybody up. Because if Deshaun Watson can get this guarantee, fully guaranteed contract, I'll give you five names. Lamar Jackson's on the list, top one. Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, and I'll include Derek Carr. Those are four young players coming off their rookie contracts and Derek Carr, who will be a free agent in 2023. All are going to want extensions and all should get at least what Deshaun Watson just got. Yeah. I ask for it fully guaranteed because if he can get it, I mean, it's how easy Lamar Jackson can walk into the Ravens office and say, look, you can put me on the billboards Mm -hmm. in every part of Baltimore. In every single part of Baltimore, you can put my face and my stats out there. I can be the front page of your team. There is no Deshaun Watson billboards going up in Cleveland.
2: No,
0: he's not going to be on that Madden cover anytime soon.
1: No, Derek Carr can pull the same thing. I mean, Derek Carr, who's not as talented as any of those guys I just named off, but he can walk in there and say, "Look, I'm a franchise guy. You gave his, you put other parts around me." You know, if I have a good season, I want an extension. And I want what that guy got. I want it fully guaranteed. He may not get the same dollar amount, but the guarantee is the issue. And it's going to cause another issue for certain teams down the road. Listen to the Coach Bono's podcast, and you'll see what I'm talking about this week.
2: You know,
0: on the uh, fully guaranteed front, um, the NFL, when it comes to how they do contracts, always appears to be behind – other sports, right? You know, baseball was the first major sport to do the fully guaranteed stuff. Yeah. Uh, the NBA was the first sport to do the no trade clauses. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we see the NFL more no trade clauses than ever before. Now we see Deshaun Watson kind of paving the way for more fully guaranteed money and such. Yeah. If you're a franchise quarterback now, the expectation has got to be. No trade clause, fully guaranteed money, and you got to pay me right. Like, no exceptions. That's it. You don't give me those things. That's that's where the negotiation starts.
1: That's where it starts now. It's absolutely right. Yeah, now if you're one of those five guys I named off, Jackson, Herbert, Burrow, Carr, and Murray, it starts at a contract's fully guaranteed, I want a no trade clause, and I want this much money. Mm-hmm. I want 230 for five years. I mean, I want 40 million. That's 40 plus 45 million a year. I want all of that. And if you don't give it to me, somebody will. Here's the right. thing I was mentioning that we we're talking about on my podcast this week, and I'll bring it up in short here. Do you know the how this works when they give these fully guaranteed contracts? What happens with the NFL? What the NFL requires the owners to do with a guaranteed contract? What's that? The escrow piece. So whenever the NFL, when an NFL player signs a guarantee and we see it a lot, like, you know, um, Von Miller just got like, what was it 50 million guaranteed? Mm-hmm. The bills don't give that money all to him at once. They give him his bonus piece, which could be all, of it, but any non-paid guarantee is put in escrow. So for Deshaun Watson's case, He was paid, there's under $45 million in the bonus. Frankly, he needs the money. And his $230 million contract is guaranteed. So you're looking at $185 million that the owner of the Browns had to go put in escrow. That's then going to be paid to Watson over the life of the contract. But That money has to be put somewhere. So it's not an effect in, the, in Brown's case because Jimmy Haslam was one of the richest guys in the NFL. But here's where the interesting one is. Herbert, Burrow, they play for two teams, Spanos who owns the Chargers and the Brown family that owns the Bengals. Their wealth is built into their team, not in cash. They don't have that kind of money. If Deshaun Watson gets 250 or 230, Herbert's going to get 300. Mm -hmm. Burrow's is going to get 300 and say they pay him 50 million of it up front that's great they got to put a quarter of a billion dollars in escrow yeah these teams don't have that money where are they going to get it from
2: Mm -hmm. you're
1: either gonna have to borrow the money or they're going to have to sell a minority stake in in the in the in the business yeah and so i find that interesting there's a lot of ownership Really mad at Jimmy Haslam for a lot of reasons right now. And it's not just all PR related. Because mm-hmm. the PR stuff you can get through eventually. They are the NFL and they seem to be bulletproof PR wise. But what do you not mess with with, an, with a billionaire? His money. Mm-hmm. These guys just got their money messed with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Bills uh, just announced plans for a, a new stadium. They are going to stay in Buffalo and uh, it is going to require some. Uh, public money, as these things tend to do for the most part, unless your name is uh, Jerry Jones or Stan Kroky. Um, And the Bills kind of bullied their way to it, threatened to leave, you know, go to Toronto or somewhere else. And, you know, Buffalo found the money and they're going to stay. And with that being said, it is going to be an outdoor stadium, um, which is different than almost everywhere else we've seen of everybody going to domes and such. But, You know, Bo, I I like this for the Bills that not only are they going to stay there and such and go to an outdoor stadium, but the reality is Buffalo is is not a big place. They could have, you know, one of the nicest stadiums in the country, and they would – a a dome stadium, and they would be lucky to get one Super Bowl because of their size. I mean, you know, and maybe a few events here and there, but realistically – like those things just weren't going to happen in a city of their size and in their market and such. And we saw, you know, this past year when they had that game with the, what was it, you know, you know, 50-mile-an-hour wind when Mac Jones only threw the ball four times. That was awesome. Uh, they had the snow game this year against New England. You know, I, I thought that was fun football. Um, I applaud Buffalo for not only keeping the team there but going with the outdoor stadium here – you, you weren't going to get the events, I think, to justify going from an outdoor stadium to an indoor stadium here. I like this move for the uh, Bills here.
1: Well, it's certainly unique. I think you bring up a great point. Now, one, I'm not a guy who believes in public financing for stadiums. I just think that I don't like socializing losses and, and capitalizing games. That's just me personally. Call me a socialist if you want. But <laughs> I, I don't like that. Um, but in the, I think you're right that you couldn't build them a building. Because what are you going to do? You're not going to have a whole bunch of events at Buffalo. Right. If you were going to have it, you know, Jerry's world's different. He obviously financed that himself. But in certain cities, you're going to have conventions. You're going to have, you know, different or other events, Final Fours or, you know, um, whatever you might put together. There's just not that in Buffalo. It's not a big enough city. I don't know that Buffalo is going to get them. Are they going to get a Super Bowl? I mean, most of the new stadiums get one. Well, they want with an outdoor stadium, but I mean, if they
0: built, if they built an out an indoor stadium, I think the NFL as a gesture would give them one. But I don't know if they would ever come back.
1: Yeah, I just don't know that they. Well, I don't know if you have the space to have a, you know, the space as far as hotels and everything else you have to have. You know, I was up in Minneapolis a couple of years ago. They had that brand new uh, stadium they built there for the Vikings, which is beautiful. You've never seen it. It's it is. Um, and it's pretty incredible. It's built downtown, but they have other events in there as well. And when I mean other events, they're getting final fours. They're going to get, you know, certain other big events because Minneapolis has got more of a tourism history there. Buffalo is just on the opposite side of Niagara Falls. I mean, it really isn't much to it. It happens to still be in the NFL because they were an original team and they were there all these years and the ownership would never let them move. Um, I think it's interesting they got an outdoor stadium because I think in a perfect world you do want the team to play indoors, but you want to get other use to that stadium. If it saves the area a bunch of money to have an uncovered stadium, then you go ahead and do it in that case. I, I, I see your point makes a lot of sense to me. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can certainly see that. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. Last thing uh, before we go, uh, Becker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo still on the trade block, have not found new homes yet. And in similar situations, both coming off off-season surgery, um, Jimmy's case was one that he kind of surprised the Niners. Uh, according to reports, they didn't even know he was getting surgery. And you know, Jimmy is... Expected to make uh, upwards of what 26 million next year. Baker Mayfield 18 million. The Browns wanted a second round pick for Baker and didn't want to have to pay any of the 18 million dollars. Looks like that's not going to happen. Uh, Garoppolo's case, it, his trade value has really sunk since this surgery and you know, with his price tag and such. You know, if, if these guys were just drafted based on their talent level. And you know if they were traded, you know, based on their talent level, I think you know it'd be easy to say sure, first second round pick. But when you add in the factors of how much it would have to take to pay these guys, and you know their injuries they're coming off of and surgeries and such, well, I mean, there's just not a trade market for either one of these guys right now.
1: There's not, and I think there'll be more for Baker in a few months as we get into the training camp. Someone's going to get hurt need somebody, they'll go get Baker Mayfield. I'd rather really have Baker Mayfield than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh one, Baker's younger. He costs less. You get 18 million versus 26 million for Garoppolo. Garoppolo's 31. Baker's still like 25, 24, something like that. He's younger. Um, and, and really Jimmy Garoppolo has played horrible the last two seasons. I don't I understand why no one's traded for Jimmy Garoppolo even on the field wise. Because he's just been awful. And so I wouldn't trade for him, even if the price was lower. But the price tags attached to these guys make them almost impossible to trade right now. And I think it's going to come down to with Cleveland and Baker. I think that's going to end up being an Odell Beckham situation where they're just going to have to get him out of there for a fifth round pick, or they're going to get to a point they have to cut him. Yeah. Salary cap hit. Uh, they can't poor mouth. They can't say we don't have the money because we know you do. And they actually are still in a pretty good cap situation because of what they did with Watson. So I I, I got no sympathy on the Baker Mayfield thing. They played that very poorly, in my opinion. And in Garoppolo's case, you know, the 49ers can just move on. It's they're not in a bad place, the 49ers to to keep Garoppolo for one more season because their real quarterback will be Trey Lance, who'll be the starter, and he's on a rookie contract when he's in his second year. So then you can have Garoppolo as the backup, knowing he won't be your quarterback in
3: 2023.
1: So I, I think that's less – you're not going to get anything for him anyway, so you might as well just hold on to him. Baker's got to go, though. But if I had to take one or the other, I'd take
0: Baker. Yeah. Yeah, I I could see that. They're
1: both impossible to trade right now. The Both teams have got to be hoping that someone gets hurt. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now with both guys, if you're the Niners or the Browns, is there ever a point where you just wave the white flag and release either one of them? Is it better to keep them and pay them to stay on the roster? Or is it better to go ahead and release them and get nothing out of them eventually?
1: Okay. I think in Garoppolo's case, it's better to keep him as a backup. Uh, because you do have a young quarterback. And if a young quarterback gets hurt, then you've got Garoppolo, who's been in the system. Again, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is as good a player as Baker Mayfield. The situation is different. Um, I do think the Browns have to get Baker out the paint, though. They got to get him straight up out of there. He's he- not going to be playing those games that
0: Watson suspended.
1: Nope. No, that's Jacoby Brissett's job. Baker's not going to be. Um, not going to be happy no matter what you do. Unless there's a contract extension, Baker Mayfield's not gonna be happy. And Baker's not getting an extension there. So I, I think in his case, he's probably the one more likely for that to happen. And in this case, probably deservingly so. I mean, get him out, get him out of there, get him away from everybody else. He can't give anything to the to the franchise. Garoppolo, I think, understands who he is and what he is. And I think he's more apt to say, okay, I'll. I'll collect my $25 million to sit on the bench this year. Clipboard money is good money. And $25 million of clipboard money is outstanding at 31 when there'll be some jobs open next year.
0: Yeah. Um, I just don't know if we'll be seeing any uh, Jimmy G uh, Subway or Baker Mayfield progressive commercials uh, in the near future. Uh, Baker – with a progressive might be uh you know in a new home of some sort so that might be a whole nother ad campaign actually. Yeah. him getting kicked out know. of his home in Cleveland
1: yeah they gonna they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to have someone wearing the baker jersey from behind as he leaves you know the the cops are there and you know they're evicting him from the stadium I can see that right that's what they need if you want to have some fun with this Baker gets you know at home but Baker is now evicted Baker is evicted evicted Baker
0: He's Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, O'Connor Advisor Group.com. Bo, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you again next week. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Take care, bud. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. I want to go ahead and talk about the uh, NBA real quick and uh, some fascinating news involving the LA Lakers as they have now uh, fallen out of the play in uh, game situation. And Uh, Find themselves in the 11th spot. And I guess uh, with the Spurs having a half game, maybe they work their way back to 10th. But nonetheless, a scare for the Lakers this week, uh, find themselves out of the play in game. And it's so comical. It is hilarious uh, to see them in this position. I mean, you look at this team, and LeBron, you know, he leaves the road trip early to rehab his, his ankle um you know right here in Dallas uh he was supposed to play uh the other night and we find out the night of that he wasn't going to be there good thing uh I didn't buy a ticket for that game uh (laughs) other people not so much but you know you you take him out of the picture and and the Davis out of the picture and that is one of the worst rosters in the league I mean Quite frankly, you know Russell Westbrook leading the way, and I love Russ, but Russ is just so off right now, been so bad, and Frank Vogel has mismanaged this team so much. It's comical what has happened with this uh, this this Lakers team at this point, and I would love nothing more than to see them go ahead and uh, miss the uh, the playoffs. You know, we we do this whole play in tournament because it's exciting and for ratings and all that. And, you know, the standard, you know, has always been about making the playoffs. And if you can't even make the play-in tournament, my God, wow. Wouldn't that be uh, hilarious in the uh, Lakers case? Um, the, the way things shake out uh, in that Western Conference, by the way, uh, Phoenix really emerging, coming along 61-14, and 14, uh, the way that they've played. And one thing I've been noticing watching this Phoenix team play is, you know, Chris Paul not only took a big step with this team and their growth and the young talent last year, but this year they're continuing on that path, that trajectory. And you, you take a guy like DeAndre Aiden, for example, and, you know, I, I think that DeAndre Aiden is one of those Tall guys that just happens to be good at basketball, right? And what Chris Paul does is he gets the most out of DeAndre Ayton and those guys. With DeAndre Ayton, and I think it almost frustrates uh, Chris Paul a little bit, you know, the Suns didn't want to give Ayton, you know, a big contract extension, I think in part because they know that Ayton is a guy that, is doing a job it's not a passion for him i think that's uh you know that, that they can see that 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 you know and, and that a guy like uh you know chris paul is getting the most out of him that he's pushing him towards that direction it makes everybody better and that's why they are the position that they are golden state you know they're out steph curry right now and we don't know you know if he's going to be 100 come playoff time and such and you know, Clay Thompson. Uh, it was big to have him back to get him from injury this year, but he has not looked like the player that he was before all these injuries. Here, I think Stock and Golden State has you know dipped a bit. Not saying they can't put it together, but right now they're not who they were. The West right now runs through the Phoenix Suns. It is theirs to lose at this point. Meanwhile, in the East, Miami leading the way. They're the one seed, but. With Brooklyn in position to be that eight seed potentially, you know that's that's a tough draw. And you know Kyrie Irving is playing on a really high level right now. The way that he's performed, he's been terrific. Um, and you know since he won his situation with the league, where he gets to play in home games and such, that's a tough draw for anybody. And I don't think Brooklyn's going to be winning the East by any means, but they could make things tough for whoever that one seed is. And so, you know, with with that said, I think Brooklyn very well could beat Miami in that first round. It would not shock me one bit. Miami's a good team, but I still am riding this Milwaukee Bucks team. Giannis is the best player in the world, hands down. Um, I think that it is them and everyone else. Don't read too much into the records. We've seen, you know, in years past that it doesn't matter what seed you really are. depends on if you can turn it on the right time in the postseason they've proven that before and in you know the at times the bucks didn't look great this year they were you know what the fifth sixth seed just a few weeks back i think for the bucks they're starting to put it together and their best basketball is in front of them i think we very well could be in position for a sun's bucks rematch in the nba finals when it's all said and done but those are the teams I'm riding. Uh, the, the defending champions of each conference, the Suns and the, and the Bucks, I think, uh, are where it's at right now as far as that goes. So uh, we'll see. Boston. I know some people are are buying the stock on that Boston team, but I don't know if that core has what it takes to win in the postseason. You know, it's it's something where. Uh, I'm not going to buy it, you know, believe it until I see it type of ordeal. I've been disappointed by uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and those Celtics players one too many times before. I'm not going to fool myself into doing it again. So uh, those are a a couple of NBA notes on uh, that front uh, as far as that goes. Um, And uh, look forward to uh, seeing how things shape out as we uh, get closer to the NBA playoffs there. Before we wrap up and end today's show, I want to get to our Tom Fullery story of the week. Thomas Bridges is out this week, so yours truly, I will hold it down myself when it comes to our Tom Fullery story of the week. And, you know, this one hits right close to home, literally. Uh, two states that I have lived, one currently, one not too long ago, Kansas and Texas are at the center of our Town Fullery of the Week story this week. Let's go ahead and get started. This one comes from the Associated Press, and it goes as follows. One of two flamingos that escaped from a Kansas zoo during a storm 17 years ago has been spotted on the coast of Texas, wildlife officials said. The Coastal Fisheries Division of Texas Parks and Wildlife confirmed Tuesday to the AP that the African Flamingo, known as number 492 because of the number on its leg band, was captured on video shot March 10th by an environmental activist near Port Lavaca, Texas, at Rhodesport in Cox Bay. Officials were able to make out the bird's leg band on the video. The bird and another Flamingo escaped from the Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita, Kansas, On a stormy night in june 2005. employees had not yet clipped the bird's wings to prevent them from flying which facilitated their escape while the other flamingo was never seen again number 492 had been spotted several times in wisconsin louisiana and texas sometimes with other wild flamingos but it had been years since it its last reported sighting until this month. So there you have it. Years later, a flamingo from Wichita, Kansas, ends up in the state of Texas. You know, I have so many questions. First off, I know they put the number on the flamingo, but who's to say that somebody just didn't write that same number? How the hell do you know that's the same exact damn flamingo? I don't believe this. There's no way that you know for sure. I mean, I'm no flamingo expert by any means, but they all kind of look the same. How do you know for certain that's the same flamingo? That does not make any sense to me that it's that way. Um, That one I find bizarre. I mean, Was this Flamingo, you know, a a Kansas fan? Were they wearing a, you know, a a Kansas jersey or something? Or, you know, were they a K-Stater, you know? they got the Powercat logo going on here? I mean, this one I find so hard to believe. And, you know, they say that they've spotted this thing in Wisconsin, Louisiana, and Texas, and such. Well, you you spotted it. What would you do with it? You just let it hang out there? I mean... That, to me, is so bizarre. And, you know, if if they think they can track the flamingos like this, how do we have people go missing in this country? I mean, if we can figure out a flamingo that's been around that long and all of its whereabouts, what does that mean for the rest of us and what they know about what we're doing and such? You know, I mean, we had these people worried that, you know, COVID nineteen was going to give them some type of uh, you know tracker, you know, in you know in their shot, you know that the, the the stupid conspiracy theories you heard. They didn't need to do that to you, folks. They know exactly where you were with what's called a smartphone. I mean, my God, you know, I mean, goodness. Now, you know, another thing too. This flamingo was. <laughs> Uh, you know, left the state of Kansas in 2005. Uh, folks, it is 2021. Uh, I'm not a math guy, but I think that's 16 years, 16, 17 years. How long did flamingos live? I mean, my goodness. You know, I mean, that's a long time for a flamingo. What were you doing in that stretch? This flamingo out in the wild, out on its own? Throughout America, you know how many crazies in are, are in this country here? How did this thing survive as long as it did It continues to, to trek on? How long is this thing going to live? Um, You know, I, I, I got to know, you know, as I look this up right now, flamingos live potentially up to 40 years. It's a long time. I mean, like, was the zoo? Planned to keep this thing around for 40 years? You know how expensive that is? How much that cost? They might have done that zoo. The the flamingo here may have done that zoo a favor flying away because it appears like it's doing just fine here. But my goodness, that's bizarre. In Texas, where will it go next? Um, Tried to go north. Didn't like it so much in Wisconsin. Can't blame you. A little cold up there. Found its way to Texas. Smart bird. Things are nice here in Texas. Uh, No income tax, good roads. Um, I discovered ranch water here in Texas recently. Very good drink. Put that tahini on it. You got yourself a good time. I think that that Flamingo's got to figure out. Maybe found some good Tex-Mex too. Find yourself right at home. The Flamingo from Wichita, Kansas. Getting it done here in the uh, state of Texas. What a bizarre and wild story to end the show today here on the uh, Jones Reports. And uh, glad to see that uh, Flamingo is uh, doing okay and uh, making it here in the state of Texas. Uh, Big thanks to Scott Chasen for joining us. Uh, Doing a great job. Make sure to follow him and all his great stuff that he's doing Brian O'Connor, Coach Bo, for uh, hanging out and being here on the show as well. Uh, always appreciate when we talk to Coach Bo and when he gives us a little bit more of his time as well. Uh, big show this week, Coach Bo Knows Podcasts each and every Monday and Friday, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And uh, check out the entire Studio Soapbox network uh, as we have some great shows, including uh, the – uh, Let's Go Racing show with David Starr uh, as a Brad Perez, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver joined us on the show this week. That show is out now on all platforms as well as YouTube and uh, the uh, Raw Tools show with Luke Slayball, the Bebo Boys, uh, all within the Studio Soapbox network along with this show out each and every Thursday on Apple Spotify and Google Podcasts. And as always, you can uh, subscribe to the show. Leave us a five star review or don't leave us one at all. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at studio underscore soapbox, Facebook.com forward slash Toggler Jones Live and uh, Facebook.com forward slash studio soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live. You can find us there. We certainly would appreciate it. Going to be chair on my Jayhawks in the final four. Uh, should be an interesting show one week. Uh, in a week from now one way or the other I can guarantee you that either I'm going to be a happy camper or I'm going to be depressed or we're all going to be banging our heads against the wall of Coach K as a national champion once again I've seen that story enough already I just need to get rid of the, the damn sucker nothing personal against Coach K but I just need you to go already my goodness Uh, nonetheless we will uh, see you then should be a lot of fun For Brian O'Connor, Scott Chase, and our entire crew of Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Poll. See you next week.